Colossians chapter 3. Now, we are continuing on in our study of the book of Colossians, but we're going to take a, a little side street, so to speak. A couple of Sundays ago, our guest speaker, Greg Reed, was uh, mentioning uh, in passing uh, concerning a, a day that was uh, nearing, a day that uh, America has, has now chosen a new uh, favorite religious holiday, and it isn't Christmas. It's Halloween. And uh, that uh, certainly was one factor for me to take a moment to look at some issues about this quote-unquote religious holiday. Uh, We wouldn't consider that. We probably never have. I know that uh, years and years ago, even as a, a young child, I did not like Halloween. Uh, it could have been because of the dumb clown suit I had to wear when, when Halloween for some thing at school, you know, and we all had to dress up. And I, I, anyway, let me get that out of my mind very quickly. I never liked clowns since. Uh, with all due respect to Pastor Fred, because uh, in Mexico he, was a, he did a Christian clown thing. Uh, his name was El Guerito, and so... With all due respect to that, but I don't like clowns. Anyway, but all, all that aside, I mean, it, uh, it, it's one thing <clears throat> to do something just because it's done as a habit or as a cultural thing or societal thing. But it's another thing to know why it even exists. What's the root of it? And does it do any, is there any connection to what we do in the church. I can say outright that Halloween is not really, from its foundation, a a good day. In fact, it's a day of darkness. It's a day of darkness. It's a day of death. And uh, we want to kind of skim over that, you know, as as a culture and society. So I want to deal with that a little bit, but at the same time, uh, stay in our text. So I'd like to read to you the first four verses of this chapter, because I think it lays a good foundation as to where we as believers in Jesus Christ should be in this uh, debate, as it were. If ye then be risen with Christ, which Paul is saying, if you are risen with Jesus Christ as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above, which where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead. You are dead to sin, dead to this world, dead to the enemy. You are alive in Christ. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
An article on the website thebalance.com has to do with financial and economic things in the country. Anyway, this article began this way. And I quote, Halloween uh, retail spending was estimated at $9 billion in 2018. It's a little less than 2017's record of $9.1 billion. Slightly fewer, 175 million, said they would celebrate. Now think about that number. 175 million people would celebrate Halloween. They spent a record $86.79 per person, according to the National Retail Federation's annual survey. And one reason for Halloween's popularity is that it's a very affordable holiday. And I emphasize the word holiday, and this is me speaking here about it. Holiday is an interesting word because really it's, it's, it comes from two important words, holy day. Hence the understanding that it's now a favorite religious holiday. The article goes on. It doesn't cost as much as Christmas or Thanksgiving, and it's still lots of fun. The article goes on to say this, shoppers look to get a big bang for the buck, and Halloween delivers. What's the cost of a few bags of Halloween candy? Around 90% of Americans will buy candy, spending $2.6 billion dollars. Almost 75% will purchase Halloween decor, spending $2.7 billion. Halloween decor, you know, decorating your house inside and out. Almost like Christmas. The most expensive part of Halloween is costumes. Just under 70% of Americans will spend, listen to this, $3.2 billion on costumes. billion on costumes. Well, for what it's worth, here's what the article lists about costumes for adults and children. The top five costumes for adults were a witch, vampire, zombie, pirate, and Avengers character. The top five for children were princess, superhero, Batman, Star Wars character, and witch. I'm sure you noticed which costume was on both lists. And how appropriate that would be since Halloween is uh, the favorite day or night, as it were, for the Wiccans, the society, the group that uh, uh, considers themselves as witches today. I wonder whether an article like this, which gives us numbers and stats pertaining to the harmless and fun holiday like Halloween, serves in keeping undiscerning people thinking that this wicked day has become a quaint piece of Americana and a major event in the landscape of American culture. More importantly, will a brief and concise study of the origin and nature of Halloween cause more professing believers in Jesus Christ to rethink any participation whatsoever in a wicked celebration such as this. If we discover that this evil day has its roots 
in human sacrifice and satanic rituals, would that make a difference? Would it make a difference to you? What we will do today is only scratch the surface of a completely antichrist holiday. That's what it is. It is an antichrist holiday. It is an anti-God holiday. It is an anti-Christian holiday. From its roots. And how the evil one, the serpent of old, the devil himself, has so cleverly woven this day into our society as something fun and acceptable even in churches. Yet we find an ominous warning given in the book of Revelation concerning the fall of Babylon the Great and its spiritual condition, its roots and foundations being the home of idolatry and occultism, demonism and false religion, specifically the worship of Baal or Baal, leading to the worship of the Antichrist and ultimately the worship of Satan himself. Let's not forget about the roots of Babylon. Let's not forget that you go all the way back to the 10th and 11th chapter of Genesis where it talks about Nimrod and the city of Babel, Babel where out in the plains of Shinar where a tower was built. Right in that very area was the beginning of all kinds of idolatry and occultism, and demonism, and false religion. And so in Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, uh, in speaking of a time that is yet to come, and it's, it's very close and very near to our time now, but, but just listen to these words. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. You know, if you just look at that little bit, that little list uh, that is mentioned there of, of, of a great nation, city, society that has fallen, this is why the foundation crumbled. And becomes an, a, a habitation of devils. And the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings, kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. But then notice verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, obviously the voice of the Lord, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Come out of that habitation of devils. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins. And that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven. And God hath remembered her iniquities. What were the great iniquities of Babylon, but that they chose to worship something and someone other than the God who created the heavens and the earth. The roots, of course, go all the way back to one being that we know as Lucifer. 
the light bearer, which is what his name means, Lucifer, who would later be known as the devil and Satan. But in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, you, you get a grip, you get a sense of, of, the, uh, of the nature of, of this complete opposition to the God that he, when he was Lucifer, was serving before his throne. It has been said that Lucifer, because of his position as this mighty cherub, was, was in, in fact a worship leader before the throne of God, before sin was found in him. And let's just look at the text here. Isaiah 14, verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which disweaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, listen to what he says in his own heart as he's seeing all these angels and even himself leading this extent of praise before God. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit up also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Has that not always been what he wanted to do? Even from the very beginning? When we meet him in the garden? We'll get to that in just a moment. I bet you didn't think we weren't going to go there, but we are. But before that, consider this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the New Testament, verses 3 and 4. Another prophetic passage, another passage that is speaking of the time that is yet to come where Antichrist himself will be revealed. But listen to this. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. See, that's the very character of the heart of the one who has founded this religious holiday we call Halloween. He opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And of course, that's pointing to a third temple that's yet to come in Israel and Jerusalem. But nonetheless, who is it? The Antichrist. But don't think that it's just the Antichrist. I mean, you know, he's doing what he's doing, but the whole impetus of this worship was going to go to the devil himself. Because if you look down at 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 8 and 9, just a couple of verses later, it says, and then shall that wicked be revealed. That wicked, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs, and lying wonders. I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul is telling this church, the church of Thessalonica. What Paul is telling this church that they were waiting for the return of Jesus Christ for his church. Go back to, you know, you can go back and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He had prepared them prophetically about the coming of Jesus Christ. 
and that, and that he could come at any moment. And they were waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. So this is what he tells this church. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just a page or two behind, back. It says 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 22. They're very little verses, aren't they? Two to three word sentences. But listen to what he tells the church that is waiting for the coming of Jesus. Rejoice evermore. That's what we ought to be doing ourselves right now, rejoicing evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then he says, quench not the Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Despise not prophesying. It is a sad thing that today, much of the church is despising the prophecies of the return of Jesus Christ. We will not do that. We look to those prophecies to encourage our hearts that at any moment Jesus can come. And then verse 21 says, prove all things. Test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Test all things. I wonder sometimes if the church and people in the church are testing everything in this world. Because what we can hold on to is that which is good. But look at verse 22. The last thing he says to a church waiting for the coming of Jesus. Abstain from all all, all appearance of evil. Halloween itself began over, over 2,000 years ago. Certainly, the roots go further back, but Halloween itself, All Hallows Eve, All Hallows Evening, goes back 2,000 years ago in Britain and Ireland among the Celts and their pagan priests called the Druids, masters of the occult. Witchcraft, Satanism, paganism, and essentially all aspects of the occult acquire instruction from the Druids. Every aspect of Halloween, from the popular jack-o'-lantern, trick-or-treat, Costumes, pranks, ghouls, ghosts, goblins, demons, and witches owes its gruesome birth to the Druids. Now, the Druids celebrated two very special nights of the year for them. One was called Beltane, B-E-L-T-A-N-E, Beltane, and the other was Sawin. Uh, it, it looks like Samhain, but it's not. It's pronounced Sawin. Beltane took place on May the 1st, and it marked the birth of summer. Sawin actually occurred on November the 1st, and it signified the death of summer. Hence, it was a night celebrating death and hell. The night before the 1st would be Sawin. Eve, Halloween. 
It was a night celebrating death and hell, and it was the, uh, the Druids' most important ritual because it was a night of human sacrifice. It was a night of roaming spirits, preparing meals as treats to appease the evil spirits from tricks or malicious and mischievous acts. The Druids believed and taught that the roaming spirits, which were loosed through the mystical veil separating the dead from the living, went looking for bodies to possess. And so the frightened Celts would masquerade as demons, evil spirits, and go so that they would be left alone. The purpose of the costume. Of Sawain night, or Sawain night, it is written very simply, but I would say very profoundly. It was a terrifying covenant with death and with hell. The most repulsive activities involved the sacrifices of the firstborn on that night. And by the way, this is not just surface, uh, you know, ideas and thoughts. This comes from very reliable sources. One is is National Geographic, if some of you realize. I know they sometimes are going to the the deep, uh, you know, evolution thing, but... uh, uh, they did uh, quite a lot of study in, in, in Druids and, uh, and what, they, uh, uh, what they did in their, in their rituals, as well as uh, all of occult issues. And there were many, many other sources that collaborated in all of these things that I'm telling you today. So, firstborn sacrifices on that night took place. And for whatever reason, the Druids counted it an honorable thing. Listen, they counted it an honorable thing to consume their father's flesh and do unspeakable things with even their female relatives. And I try to put it in such a way that it wouldn't sound so terrible because it it was a terrible thing that they did. And by the way, the celebration of Beltane, you know, we were thinking, well, Sawin's doesn't sound too good. Beltane isn't any better. Because the celebration of Beltane which literally means the fires of Baal. Bel is another form of the word or the name Baal, which was the name of the idol, not the idol, but the, the god of, uh, uh, goes back to uh, some sources, Egypt and others, of course, to uh, Babylon. But uh, Beltane was really the worship of Baal. And he was considered and called the Lord of the Flies. Now, Beelzebub is a word that we find in the Gospels that Jesus himself had used and others used about him. They thought, they said, well, he casts out spirits by Beelzebub. And of course, the name Beelzebub means uh, the Lord because Baal means Lord, Lord of the Flies. Why would Lord of the Flies be uh, so important? Well, let me ask you this. Where do flies congregate? Certainly not in church. Sometimes. There's one there that wants to get saved. No, flies hang around stench. They hang around death. That's what it's about. It's about death. Children were sacrificed in those fires. 
Not to mention that one of their rituals, the lighting of bonfires. Have you all ever been to a bonfire? Some of us have. Just, you know, get all the things that you can burn and put it in a big stack and pile and light it up. And then, you know, you can warm your hands and, you know, I don't know what else bonfires are good for. You know, campfire, whatever. That's a big campfire. You know what the, the origin of bonfire is? It comes from two words, bone fires. Bone fires. The lighting of bonfires were a form of divination. Used to predict what was to come the following year. Well, how could that be? Well, a human being or an animal would be placed in a large wicker basket and burned to death. The pagans believed that the way the victim died in the form of the charred bones, like tea leaf reading, would tell the future for the next 12 months. So once the fire subsided and, uh, you know, they went in and they looked at the bones in which direction they were, lay, you know, laying or whatever, and they would divine what would be coming up for the next year for their community. And so much more could be said about things like jack-o'-lanterns and black cats and, <clears throat> and other practices. Jack-o'-lanterns is very an in, uh, interesting thing. You know, it, it's really a, it, it began with uh, uh, turnips. They, they would take turnips and, and, and fill it with, with uh, uh, the fat of humans, and, and that's how they would light their candles. Uh, of course, then when, when that came uh, to the United States, they started using pumpkins. And then they would carve face, faces on the, the pumpkins. And the whole idea was, of course, speaking about beheadings. It was all about the cutting off of the heads of people that you didn't like at times, or whatever. Or whatever were the reasons, okay? I'm, I don't want to get too graphic here. But all these things had meaning. Much greater than the meaning that we see happening today. But that's the root. And even while the attempt was made to Christianize this pagan holiday by Pope Boniface IV in 609 AD and Gregory III years later, and Pope Gregory IV extending it to all of Christendom in the 9th century, calling it All Saints Day, November the 1st, All Saints Day, the pagan pagan practices didn't stop. Because the night before All Saints Day, it was called All Hallows Eve. All Hallows Eve. Now that's an interesting word to use. It's a word, hallow, that we find directed toward God. Our God. From a pattern of prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But now, hallow is being used for dead saints, dead people. The word was used very carefully, very sincerely. And with a sacred attachment to the Father himself and alone to him. Now it's been taken and used for saints.
we have something in our culture here on the border and in many other places. Dia de los Muertos. Day of the Dead. How strange. Because the Bible tells us that God is not the God of death. He's the God of life. And what he says about it is this. He says, choose life. Choose life. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Not just physical, but most importantly, eternal. So the practices, the pagan practices, even when you try to Christianize something, they won't stop. The enemy is too cunning. Witchcraft continued the old practices. Satanism adopted Halloween as one of its most important nights. Need I say more? The paganism that we've only scratched the surface of is based entirely on an earth-based religion. Though Wiccans and witches today will tell you that they're not really Satan worshipers, they're earth worshipers, they're tree huggers, plant kissers, whatever else you might want to call them. But the root is still there. Satan has devised all of these cunning fables to deceive. God called us to discern. Test the spirits. See if they're of God. And if they're not, get away from them. But don't be fooled about this earth-based religion. The Druids were very much Satanists. And and again, it's fueled by Satan himself in Genesis 3, where I know time and again, I've, I've quoted this a thousand times if I've quoted it once, but in response to what Eve said to him about God telling them not to eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on that day they would die. Of course, she didn't say it all properly because that was actually told to Adam, and Adam was quiet over in the side. Anyway, in verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 3, it says, The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Cuts right across the face of who God is. Says, You're not going to die. What is he saying? God's lying to you. That's Satan's tool to confound and to deceive. God's lying to you. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You'll be just like him. You'll be as gods. The more people that Satan can turn into gods of their own making, the more he becomes God or like God. But that's his whole, that's his whole mission. To oppose God. To exalt himself. To reject God. So that he can be exalted. Just as we saw in Isaiah 14. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should sharply, sharply 
disagree with these pagan beliefs and practices. For us, the scriptures are the sole basis for, the, for an understanding of who God is. Because this is why we have the word of God, so that we may know who it is that has saved us, who it is that has made us, first of all, created us, but also made us realize that we were born in sin and that we needed a savior and that he himself would send his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And every day we have that opportunity to have fellowship with him as believers, to have Communion with him as believers. To understand who he is. To understand that he is a God that, yes, he is above all of his creation. He is holy. He is just. He is true. He is righteous. But he's merciful. And he's full of grace. And he's love. But he's just. And God has chosen to reveal himself through the pages of scripture, both Old and New Testament, using the wonder of his created order as well to reveal his providential care and his almighty power. And in light of his holy word, the unstable impersonality of pagan conceptions of divinity, whatever they say, you can worship as gods, are shown to simply have no common ground with the biblical perspective on the personal nature of God, who is revealed as creator and, and, and not creation, as the Lord over all time and all eternity. This is the reason why we turn to Scripture, because in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul says to Timothy, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Good works. But what do we have happening today? What is the very thing that, 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 that's, that seems to, uh, to border this whole new way of, of looking at things in the world? Take heed of those who call evil good and good evil. We're not to mess with the evil. God has made us to be thoroughly furnished in good works. Good works always. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. One God in three persons on high, not below. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 and 19, 
It says, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret. Get this, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. Everything that you see in spiritualism and in occultism and in Satanism and in Druidism and in all kinds of other isms, everything is in dark, mysterious ways presented to the world. And it titillates the mind and, 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 and the, uh, the desires to look into that which is evil. But God has not spoken in in secret to us. What's the name of the last book of Scripture? Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. He has revealed all things. And if there were any mysteries, the mysteries have been revealed too. So that we will know from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, from Alpha to Omega, from the first to the last, that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no one else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. We even have these quote-unquote, you know, respectable uh, societies like Masons and others. Connected to Freemasonry. That have their little secret handshakes. and Meetings where you, you know, nobody's supposed to know about. Well, people have revealed it. We know a little bit more about it. In one of, in one of the parts of their, their rituals, when they're bringing in a, a, a prospective member, is that they tell them, listen, you cannot give any of these secrets away or else... And you want to give them your money to join? God has revealed all things. I have not spoken in secret in the dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to glorify and love our Lord and Savior first and foremost. We are called to glorify and love our Lord and Savior above all things. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus said unto him, and that, is, that him is a person who was asking him a question to, tr- to trick him to test him, and to stumble him. What is the first and great commandment? Or what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
whether the Ten Commandments or all of the law, one thing is for sure. We are to love God first, above, and foremost above all things. And then we are to love one another. Jesus taught that to his disciples before he went to the cross, right before he went to the cross. May I tell you that Satanists and Wiccans and, and witches and all kinds of other spiritualists and, and, and uh, you know, gurus and yogis and yogi bears and whatever else, these people are not doing what they do for others. They do what they do for themselves. Alistair Crawley, the, the British Satanist, would actually emphasize selfishness. Anton LaVey emphasizes selfishness. You, as a worship, as a, they as worshipers of Satan would, would actually do what they do for themselves. It's not about others. That's what makes Jesus different. That's what makes Christianity different. Because it's not about us, it's about him. And therefore we give to one another. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, the apostle John, who also had to deal with Gnosticism, as Paul was dealing with Gnosticism in Colossians, uh, says here, and hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. That's how we know. We are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to love the Lord with all of our heart. We are to love one another. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. I have to ask you a question. How did he walk? He walked in light. He walked in truth. He walked in love and mercy and grace. That's how we are to walk. In light, not in darkness. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. This is where we begin to examine our own hearts about things. Paul said, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can we be doing certain things and say that it's to the glory of God? As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to submit to his authority and care and to be mindful of glorifying him and him alone. A call that demands total rejection of the authority claimed in opposition to him by all other gods. A theme that is actually very dominant in Scripture. Exodus 34, verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I know that some of you may like Oprah Winfrey. I don't much care for her. I mean, I, 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 want, I want to pray for her that she comes to the truth of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ because she has a totally mixed up view of the gospel. But she said one time, how can this be in the scriptures, you know, that God is a jealous God? You see, that's looking at it from a worldly perspective. You look at it from a godly perspective and you're thankful that he's a jealous God. 
And that's why in Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 through 15, it says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. I think that's pretty serious. And that's not hyperbole. That is straight on, the truth of God. Of his otherness from this wickedness of this world. Now you may be asking the question, is there connection with paganism and the Gnostic heresy that we've been studying in the book of Colossians? Yes, there is. Now we come back to our study of the book of Colossians. Because it is considered... And I, and I didn't mention this at the onset of our, our, of our study of, of Gnosticism when we began uh, uh, our study in Colossians. But it is considered that the father of Gnosticism was a man named Simon Magus. Who, by the way, is, is mentioned, not, not by the name Magus here, but, but by Simon, in Acts chapter 8. We're going to go to Acts 8, so you might want to start turning there. But it was considered that the father of Gnosticism was Simon Magus, who is mentioned in Acts 8 in reference to the miracles that the Lord performed through the Apostle Philip. Now, in Acts chapter 8, we're told in verse 6 that the people, with one accord, and this was in, in, in the earth of Samaria, but the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, come out of many, uh, crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named or called Simon, which before time in the same city, notice this, used sorcery. Sorcery. Black magic, if you will. Divination. And bewitched the people of Samaria. We're not talking about the 60s sitcom. Bewitched there. Which was bad enough. So Simon was a sorcerer and had bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, that he was a, 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 a great man. See, this is, this is where you begin to get that picture of, of rising up to a level above other people and having secrets that you have that you can actually uh, teach people to. Uh, to learn so that they can come up to the level that you are. That's Gnosticism. That's the Gnosticism that we've talked about. And by the way, the people were so bewitched. In verse 10 it says, to whom they all gave heed. They gave heed to this guy named Simon. From the least of, to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. That's what he wanted to hear. That's what Satan wants to hear. And to him they had regard because that of, a, that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. 
So you think about Gnosticism that is coming into the church today. We've talked about many times in many different and various ways. And the root of that Gnosticism was going to be found in sorceries and evil things. Now, in the course of the text, chapter 8 of Acts, we are told that Simon became a believer. Hmm. But when he saw Peter and John laying hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost, he offered money for that power. Simon offered money for that power, and this is what Peter told him. You have Visa or MasterCard. I wanted to see if you're still with me and awake. All right. No, that's not what Peter told him. This is what Peter told him. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Now he's telling that to somebody who said they had come to know God in Christ. They'd become a believer. Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Wow, that's a tremendous statement. Isn't it? I mean, Peter's not being wishy-washy here. We kind of got, sometimes, you know, in our day and time, we're a little wishy-washy about that. Well, you know, he's just kind of, no, 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 man. This, this, is, this, this was coming straight through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And he went on to do what he did with Greek philosophy, with Jewish legalism to support his steps to a higher spiritual plane and Eastern mysticism. Lastly, the Celtic people, the peoples of Ireland and parts of Britain and Scotland, who were descendants of those who had come actually from the region that we know as Galatia. They were all Gauls, actually, that, uh, you know, if you know his history and where people came from, and even uh, knowing the, uh, the foundation for nations in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 11. The Celtic people were descendants of those who had come from the region that we know as Galatia. Brought with them. Even from the time of the first century. So this is how far back it goes, you see. As we said, about 2,000 years. They brought their pagan, their old pagan holidays. Which were the roots of Samhain, modern day Halloween. And notice that to the Galatian churches, Paul would write in chapter 4 of 
of Galatians verses 8 through 11, he said, How be it then, when ye, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You come out of darkness into light. Why do you want to go back to any darkness at all? You observe days and months and times and years. Did you know that even in the Galatian churches, they were having a problem with Gnosticism. Did we not see this in, in, in Colossians chapter 2 about their observance of days, months, times, and years? Then he tells them, I'm afraid of you, which means I'm afraid for you. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And your hearts are not right. You need to get them right. I'm going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm doing better than last night, so time-wise. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 20. Well, maybe not. Okay. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and have no fellowship, now look how clearly this, is, this, this, this reads. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. In other words, carefully. Circumspectly means you are aware of everything around you. 360 degrees around you. Physically and spiritually for that matter. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Buy back the time that we may have thought we wasted in this life. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. May I ask you, are the days evil? Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Oh, listen. Coming on Halloween, there's going to be a lot of adult parties with a lot of adult beverages. Sound appealing? Because that's what they're going to do after it's all over. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, let's remember this. We are children of the day, not of the night. 
We are children of the light, not of the darkness. And Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. You ask and you pray, what do you want me to do on this night? It's going to come. We're going to have to deal with it. But be prayed up about it. Maybe get together and sing songs of praise and thanksgiving unto the Lord. Because didn't he say rejoice evermore? Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. And abstain from all appearance of evil. Let your light so shine. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Are you seeking those things? Set your affection, your heart, your life on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's be ready for that day. Amen?